This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. My name's Nigel Clark and I'm founder of Dad Vengers and host of this wonderful parenting podcast where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. But it's not just about the dads. Mums, grandparents, carers, soon-to-be parents, we want you involved in the conversation too. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please subscribe. It's so important because we can only continue to have important conversations like this if we can prove you're out there listening and subscribing is the best way to let us know. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today's guest has been a health and fitness enthusiast for many years and has been sharing his exercise and recipe videos online for just as long. However, during the pandemic, he shot into the limelight when he went online to help parents with the task of teaching PE at home. Since then, his videos have had over 100 million views and he's received an MBE for his work. If that wasn't enough, he's also a best-selling author, having sold over 4 million books. The thing is, by far his favourite job is being dad to his two young children. I'm so pleased to welcome Joe Wicks, aka The Body Coach, to the podcast. Thank you, mate. Thank you for having me as a guest. And I'm um, looking forward to our chat because I I do love being a parent. And, I, I, you know, kids can be hard work, but I also get a lot of joy from them. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about the chaos and the ups and downs of being a parent. Yeah, dude, it is. It's one of those things. Every day is different, but I love the fact that every day is different. It's, it challenges me in new ways. And I think you like being challenged as well, right? Yeah, of course. It's ups and downs. And I've, you know, I've got like um, two under two under four. Sorry, I've got a three and a half year old and a two and a half year old. And obviously I've got one on the way. So although they're, they're nutters and it's, cra- it's chaos, I still want more. Do you know what I mean? So I miss that early stage, that baby stage, because they grow up so quick. But yeah, they're cracking... They crack me up, man. I mean, they're always fighting, but they do make me laugh. And I do, of all the things I've achieved in life, I think growing lovely, caring children that are kind is, is the greatest thing we can achieve in life, you know? Yeah. So you said you've got another one on the way. I've got another one on the way too. When's yours due? Oh, congratulations, mate. You're going for the hat trick too. Yeah, mine's <laughs> due in um, September the 3rd. So we've got, yeah, another, another couple of months to go. So through summer, just sitting tight now. But again, it can come at any point, right? Because now you're in that kind of area where like, it can come a few weeks before, so you, you can't rely on it being September, but it might be sooner. Yeah, yeah, totally. But the thing that I noticed most about what you said is that 
I don't think three's the end for you. I think you've got some more that you're planning that you want to do. When I see families, I go to obviously like schools and I visit around the, I do like workouts around the country, do the PE with on tour. And I see a family, like the mum and dad and then like five kids in high order. I just think it's awesome. I, I just think it looks fun. And although, although it's, it is crazy having kids and it's stressful, I just like the idea of a big family. So me and Rosie, we both think we're going to have at least four. We're going to try, obviously, hope for four. But who knows? Maybe five, who knows? Never, never, never know what's going to happen. But I do love it. I, and, and she loves being a parent too. So I think together we do visualise having a big family. Did you always want to be a dad from a young age? I used to think I was going to be a dad really young because my mum had me very young. She was 17 when she had my brother Nicky and 19 when she had me. And I always had this vision that I'd have a kid at like 24, 25. But when I got to that age, I was nowhere near ready. Um, I actually ended up having a kid. Um, I was probably, I was 32 when I had my first child, which felt like the right age for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm loving it. I'm loving the journey. It is a, it is a journey. And I'm constantly learning. And I always think, you know, being a parent, you're not given a rule book or a manual kind of how to do it. But I'm, I'm trying to use my past experiences as, as a kid growing up and trying to become a better parent and learn to, you know, just treat my kids differently and, and give them a nice, stable home life. You say about um, using your experiences that you've had as a child when you're parenting, and we're going to get deep into that in a minute. Um, but have you found it hard to adjust to being a parent? I think... I found it challenging in certain respects. Like, I'm quite a naturally impatient person. And obviously, when I was a kid, my mum and dad, it was very like, there wasn't much tolerance. It was quite snappy, quite a confrontational environment. You know, a lot of shouting, a lot of doors getting slammed. It was quite aggressive in that sense. Not physically, but verbally. We shouted at each other a lot. You know, we used to scream and shout. And so, by default, that is probably my reaction to certain things, like being stressed on a plane or when I'm cooking or when I'm in a car, like to scream and shout and, and, and walk out and run out the room and slam the door. But I've had to really retrain myself to think differently and respond differently. So that's been the biggest challenge to me, like being a patient parent. I'm, I'm very loving and kind and caring, but being patient, like especially when I've got things on my mind, I'm working, I'm stressed. Like I find it hard to react calmly, but I'm learning to do it. And it does become a thing. The more you practice it, the better, it, the easier it becomes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been the biggest challenge. And I, I am, um, you know, I'm just lucky that Rosie and me, we parent in a similar way. We, we want to be kind, patient parents, as opposed to like shouting and screaming and rowing with each other all the time, because that, I just don't want that energy and that confrontation in my life. I had that growing up as a teenager, as a kid. So yeah, that's kind of the biggest lesson I'm learning, I think. Yeah, that's, it's a really difficult one. And I think men particularly, because I think women might be a little bit more patient than we are and I'm, I'm generalizing, but generalizing to make a point about men I think we have to learn it and take it on board more especially after having kids because we don't want to have those snappy reactions because it's unfair on our children right we we understand things maybe quicker and and better than them so we we want to we want things to happen quickly and you're quite an energy quite energetic you're quite um uh, what's the word and I don't want to say manic because you described your mum as manic and it's not manic it's like you have a, an energy and a flow and you just you're just bouncy you're a very yeah, bouncy yeah. person so being that bouncy person sometimes when when someone else isn't as bouncy and as quick on something you slowing down for you is harder right yeah, it can be a challenge, yeah. That's why, obviously, when you're parenting, you're hoping that you're both going to end up with similar, like, principles and kind of, you know, ways of dealing with things. But, yeah, like, my mum 
was very impatient with me and obviously like was quite shouty and stuff. But I've learned I don't want to be like that, so I'm really working at it. But Rosie, as a parent, my 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 get my my girl, my wife Rosie, she it's effort like it's effortless for, it's effortless for her to be calm and patient and like during the night feed, you know, just so relaxed about things. Whereas I would find it much more difficult, and I had to really work at it. And so, yeah, it is it is like the biggest challenge we face, isn't it? Just trying to come come down to a child's like level and talk to them with patience rather than just shout at them and scream because that's like what I had as a kid. That's all I know. That's how I learned to be a kid. Like, and that's how I think parenting was. But I, I definitely think you can, when you realise you can choose to react differently, it's a quite a powerful moment because then you realise, you know what? I haven't got to sound like my mum and dad. I can be someone else and I can reply to my children indifferently and I, I, can, I can work on that. And it is something that does take time and effort, I think. Does Rosie ever try and slow you down and, and get you to that calmer place, being so bouncy and energetic? Well, I think, you know, me on social media, like, it is me, but it's also, like, a bit of a character. There are days where, like, I'm quite flat and I don't want to, like, be filming workouts and be running around doing burpees and sort of, you know, what, while I'm leaning 15. <laughs> like, that was kind of a, a character of me back then. But no, I'm much more, like, I have days where I'm really calm and chilled. I switch off. I mean, I've never been a diagnosed of ADHD, but I think as a kid, when I look back, like, I was very distra- distracted and couldn't focus on anything for long, you know. So I was always jumping between different activities. Like, I'd be doing karate for a month, then it's BMX and then roller skating. I was always, so yeah, my mind can stray kind of things, uh, kind of kind of in a way to kind of different, I can't focus, but I'm working on it. Like, I think for me, the biggest source of frustration and stress and like irritability for me is my phone. So when I've got my phone in my hands, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting negatively, I'm getting stressed. Whereas when I don't have the phone and I'm just with the kids, just being with them. So what I've learned is that when I'm with them, just be with them, take the phone, put it in a drawer, leave it in the car when I go to the park. And I do have much better interactions and my relationships have improved because of it. Now, you've brought me to the phone because I recently watched a documentary and something that amazed me in that was that like you reply to the majority of your messages and DMs. You spend a lot of time um, with your with your fans and like talking to them and people who need help and you're you're totally dedicated to that. But that can take that takes a lot of time. You were talking there about spending up to seven hours on a on a on a session when you were like replying to people on the phone and stuff. How do you balance that with with family time? Because you know, do you sleep, dude? Do you? Sleep? Yeah. No. I listen. I prioritize sleep more than anything. It's the most important thing. And I think the documentary was filmed nearly two years ago, so it was like um, it caught me at a moment that was really intense and overwhelming because it was like therapy like doing those filming days with my mum and dad and interviewing my brother and stuff it's so emotional and so the more I talked about mental health that time the more dms I was getting the more content that was coming in where I was trying to reply and it was overwhelming and I did I did find it difficult but I've got much better boundaries now so specifically with the phone because I'm addicted to connection and love and the relationship I have with people the impact I have that that's what I'm addicted to the device is just a channel for it, really. It's like the phone is addictive, but it's more that thing of like, I just love all of my self-worth is linked to how many people I can help in a day. And so I've learned to just understand that I can't reply to everybody. I have to have days where I disconnect from my phone and I'm learning to do that. And I've had like, you know, kind of not a digital detox where like I'm, I'm like disappearing for months and then, but a few days, like a weekend off my phone where I just leave it and don't turn it on and just spend time with the kids. So I, I didn't have balance back then. I've got balance today. Do you know what I mean? I've really worked on that. Now, you say you've got balance now. Do you, does that mean you've had therapy? Are you in therapy? Do you, 
Do you speak to people? What What do you do? I've just recorded a conversation, a podcast with, with for my podcast with um, Dr. Julie Smith, who's a psychologist. And I said, like, this is amazing just to talk to a therapist because I don't really spend time talking to therapists because I'm, I'm quite upbeat. I don't really look back at the past. I'm quite a positive person. I just look forward. But going through that documentary making with BBC One, it was very difficult. Like, it opened up so many memories that I didn't have and I suppressed as a young kid. Because as children, we just, we, we come, we compartmentalize things and we block things out that we don't want to that were quite difficult and traumatic but no I don't have a therapist I mean for me like exercise is my therapy and you know going in the ice bath and like going out on my motorbike and having a day on the bike and things like, that. like I do have ways of detaching my brain and my mind from the thoughts and all the kind of overwhelmingness of social media but um the biggest thing for me is always it's exercise like, I, I always turn to exercise when I'm stressed when I'm happy, when I'm sad. And so that's the message I promote so much because I do believe in the power of exercise for our mental health. Yeah, I'm a big believer in, in exercise for mental health. And you have always been that way. But in the early stages, and I, I might be making massive assumptions here, and please do tell me if I am and, and I'm, you know, tell me to shut up. When I was watching the documentary, you massively got into exercising. You talked about running to school, like five miles to school at like 13. And you talked about it being a, a distraction, a like a way to get away from the, the bad times at home or the things that you were worried about at home. Do you think you ever still use exercise to distract you from anything? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like been a part of my life from such a young age, even before that age. I, I remember being like six or seven years old like in PE, just thinking if I don't do PE, my day doesn't go right. I'm so dis disruptive and I get angry and agitated because I was having like, so much was going on. So basically, in a short, short, cut a long story short, I, my mum and dad had real mental health issues. My dad had uh, was a heroin addict, a drug addict from a very young age. So like that, you can imagine the chaos of living with that and then... My mum also had extreme OCD and she cleaned the house like four times a day. Um, she had eating disorders and anxiety and things. So like, I was living in an environment that wasn't wasn't great for a six-year-old kid. And yet but when I went to school and exercised, I like I almost forgot about things and I like ran the aggression and the tension and the frustration out of my body. So yeah, that's in my DNA. Like it has been like that from the start. And even today, like I said, like if I wake up in the morning and I'm, and I'm a bit stressed or frustrated or I'm, I'm overwhelmed by, you know, covid or the war in ukraine all these emotions that get to me because i'm an i'm an empathetic i'm an empathetic person i think about things a lot i exercise and release that a feeling and so yeah like it's always my it's my release for everything good and bad wow it feels like you have begun to deal with things because of the documentary and over the last two years with the pandemic and learning that the things that you're addicted to it feels like you've begun a process and begun a journey with your mental health. Was would you say that's that's fair? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, even like as a as an individual like myself, my thoughts have changed towards exercise, towards food and sleep and all these things because you know I launched Lean in Fifteen like seven years ago and it was like fat loss, wasn't it? It was like body image. It was about losing weight. It was all about the body. And but what I realised over the years is that actually what I really do is help people with their mental health, their mind transforms and the body kind of follows, you know? So I think my narrative around social media has changed, you know, the titles of my book. I now just did a book called Feel Good Food. It's about feeling good. It's about the link between food and gut health and our minds. So yeah, like I'm on a journey and I've like this new podcast series. Now I've got 
um, Dr. Matthew Walker, a sleep expert, because I'm so passionate about talking about sleep, how important it is. Mm. He wrote a book called um, Why We Sleep. Uh, Dr. Julie Smith, she's a psychologist talking about anxiety, depression, like tools to overcome certain, certain things. And another guest called Catherine Price, who she wrote a book called How to Break Up Your Phone about phone addiction, because I'm a 36-year-old man with phone addiction. And I'm suffering bad. Like, I've got it bad and it affects my life. It affects mm. my relationship with my kids. So if I can use my my platforms to amplify their message and like even like this, like you reached out and I thought I want to talk because I know as a parent, as a dad, I feel like I have got a conversation that might be of value. So I, I never I always see value in sharing those messages. And um, yeah, I really do promote mental health a lot now. I think it's become something that we need to talk about because it's the, it's the thing that's affecting us all every day. Like we can have good days and bad days. You don't need to have like ex- extreme depression and anxiety to, to say I've got bad mental health today. So I think, yeah, I'm always trying to share that message. So thank you for like giving me a chance to, you know, reach your view audience as well. Dude, it's, it's one of the ethoses of Dad Avengers is getting men and fathers in particular to talk about their mental health and to be more comfortable to talk about it. So one Thank you for coming and talk about it. You'll be helping other men who are listening to think about, hold on, I can talk with my partner about this. I can talk with my mates at the pub about this. I can talk with whoever it is they want to talk to and not feel like it's a stigma, not feel like, oh, I'm weak. Not All of those things that people think when it comes to men talking about mental health. Do you think you would ever speak to a therapist? Talking about that point you just said, which um, is so important, I'm so passionate about men talking. I actually went and shot a scene with a group of guys. It was a it was a dad's only talking therapy group in Surrey. They cut it from the pot. Um, they cut the scene from the documentary, which is really sad. I really wanted it in there, but you know, there's just so much to get in. It's difficult to yeah, get yeah, it all in. And like, there was guys there, like really stable dads that were just going about their business and then became a dad. You know, guys came became a dad. And the overwhelming feeling and stress that that brought on, like they just literally went from being completely fine to having severe depression, suicidal thoughts, because they couldn't deal with being a parent. They didn't, they, and, yeah. but they couldn't. The issue was they couldn't speak to their partner because they felt like my wife needs a strong, reliable partner right now. They can't have me saying, I can't deal with it. I don't feel connection with a baby. Like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm low. And so I really, really want men to talk. It's so important that we do, because once you realise... You're not alone. We all feel the same. We all find it difficult getting woken up four times through the night and getting up and going to work the next day. It's really tough. Um, but yeah, I've definitely, I'm, I'm definitely open to therapy. I have had therapy in the past, like a few sessions here and there as a teenager. There was a thing kind of called Al-Anon. It was like for families and things. So I've definitely had conversations, but I'm not someone to bottle things up. If I ever feel like I need talk to talk, I will, you know, I'll get on the phone to a friend or I'll go to the pub and we'll have, we'll have a chat. And you realise when you're sitting with a group of eight guys who are all dads, it's almost laughable just how similar our experiences, you know, with relationships, with uh, intimacy with your partner, with the kids winding you up, with like the, going to the first school school parties with the kids, like, all these things, like the small talk, like we all experience these same things. And I think the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes because you realise you're not alone. Like it's, it's like everyone's learning on the job, but the more dads you know and the more you talk, the more dad you talk to, the easier it becomes, I think. You're really lucky. You've... you've, you've... You've highlighted something for me there, and I'll come back to my original question. But you've highlighted that you're really lucky in the fact that you have a a ready-made community around you, whether that's dads, whether that's mums, whether that's, you know, your social media people. People contact you all the time. And for 
that's like a little community that you have. It's a little Joe Wicks community. A lot of people don't have that. And they won't realize, and I didn't realize, I'm, I'm saying this from my own experience. When I had my first two, I wasn't really in any parenting groups. I wasn't doing that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't until I started doing the baby club for CBeebies that I really got into parenting groups and, and, and a baby club and saw the benefits and saw how it helped the children, saw how it helped, it helped the parents. So I've come into that way later. How important do you think it is for parents to have community around them to talk to? Just so you know, for the record, I watched the baby club about four times with Indy when she was little and I still can't get the theme tune out of my head. Like, it's stuck. <laughs> it's like one of those adverts for like washing up liquid. It's, it's there forever. But no, I loved it. And I really like, um, I love G as well. Giovanna's amazing. I went on her Happy Mum, Happy um, Baby podcast a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, but yeah, about community, I think it's so important. And for me, when I was talking about the dads, that's actually, so I've got a WhatsApp group called the Daddy, the Daddy Gusto Gang because it's all my mates who are dads and we were all like using Gusto at the time. We were like sharing our recipes. But it's amazing just to have someone to vent and just go, you know, I'm having a tough time. The, the kids drive me mad or, you know, like just having that little bit of a communication channel where you can just like moan about things sometimes because you realise actually everyone's going through it. And um, yeah, community could be, it could be like NCT if you're a new dad. It could be your own mates. It could be speaking to your your mum and dad or, you know, your best mate. But definitely don't be alone. Don't don't sit with those thoughts or feelings that you might be feeling because, you know, sometimes parents are really natural and it's a real easy, effortless thing. Other people, it just takes a bit more work. But you can get there. But I do think communication and asking for advice is so important because sometimes you feel like you're alone and you've got these feelings and thoughts that, you know, you don't want to open up. But once you do, you realise, actually, you know what? I'm not alone and I can talk through this and I can actually, I can, I can improve things and get, and get better and stuff. Talk about communication. Um, when you were younger, your dad didn't communicate as well with you as you guys communicate now. Um, you spoke before about him being a heroin addict. There were things that were unsaid, weren't there? And as a child, how did that affect you? It really affected me as a child and as a teenager, I was really angry because I was when I was a little kid, I just thought, this is life, this is what it's like. But when I became a teenager and I could see my dad was constantly relapsing and that uh, instability of like, oh, he's clean and then he's using and then he's gone, he's in rehab, he's not here. Like That's hard when you're a kid. You just want your dad to be there for you. And obviously emotionally, when you're using heroin, it numbs you of all ability to love. You don't love yourself. You don't love anything. You don't love anyone or anything. And so... It was a lot of like, yeah, absence sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's made me become a really kind, present, like stable figure in my children's life because I don't want them to think I'm not going to be here when things get tough. Because I remember when things got tough and my mum and dad started arguing because he was relapsing, like he was gone and there was no, they, they didn't stick together. So I think, yeah, I think that's really shaped me. It's, it's made me want to be a, a, you know, a loyal, faithful husband to my wife and also be like just be stable and be like a consistent energy in their lives that like consistently there for them. Um, but yeah, we're definitely shaped by our children, we're, by our childhood. We're all shaped by our childhood for good and bad. And so um, I'm now trying to teach my children in a different way and love them as much as I possibly can so that they, you know, I think I broke, I have broken the cycle of addiction and, and, and mental health. And I think if I can keep that stability in their lives, maybe they'll continue with their children in the future. So it's kind of a cycle, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. 
grab that mighty steel classic truck, it's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. You speak about your kids, you love being with them, you love sharing time with them because you want it to be a, a different childhood to the one you had. Tell us some of the things that you, you guys get up to. What do you, what do, you do together? What are your favourite times? I mean, my favourite times really are travelling. Like, I love that I get to take them with me because obviously my business is, I'm lucky in a sense it's digital. You know, I can take my phone and my laptop and film videos and share content so I can be away travelling. I like going on little trips with them. Um, but on a more basic level, it's just simple things like going to the farm, like leaving my phone in the car and going to the farm and not taking a single photo. Or we've all got scooters, you know, they're micro scooters. We just go whizzing around the block. Um, we've got bikes with car bike seats on the back, you know, so things like that, just simple, simple things that don't cost anything, but are really wonderful because you can ride somewhere, have a picnic, play around in the park, you know, Richmond Park, wherever you may be in, and you've bonded and you've had a really ama amazing time. And I used to be like all about the content. So I'd be filming, I wouldn't do that. So cute. Do that again and sharing it. And I was obsessed with, I saw the world through a lens of social media content. And so I've now retrained myself to like, not do that, just to be in the moment, you know, just to be present and. I don't need to take a photo and send it to my mum and her and her grandparents and stuff because it's like you spend the time on the phone the whole time. So I think, yeah, doing things in nature, going for bike rides. We love going to the beach and then we'll drive down to Brighton for the day and all the things I've done as a kid. Um, just, yeah, like the basic Cheswick World of Adventures, you know, going to London Zoo, like all these things. It's just fun. Like, and, um, yeah, I do love being with them. And I, I think the most important thing and the ch most challenging thing is finding the balance between work and wanting to be successful and have a career and want to be an entrepreneur and do great things. But not sacrificing too much time like because you can blink and they're four years old and it's like they're they're like teenage i mean my daughter feels like a teenager it's, it's madness so i think that the biggest challenge for parents is finding that balance between yeah being being at work and being with them and being present yeah it's difficult to find that balance for all of those things and there are two things that parents often uh feel that i want to ask you about what the first one is parent guilt, which you brought us on to nicely, because sometimes parents feel guilt about, oh, I'm working too much, I haven't seen my kids, or, oh, I need to do this, and, and or I can't take them on holiday, whatever it might be, and, and there's always that parent guilt. Do you ever suffer that? Yeah, definitely. I definitely, the most time, I, the most guilt around things is for me is like, yeah, you know, being on the phone and not being with them and not, and then having to say, daddy, like looking up at me, Lena, look up and stuff. And that was that was an issue, but I've really got better at that. And I'm I'm really my screen time's way lower, like three and a half hours a day maybe now, which is much better. And I just do the time with them, I really focus on them. Whereas before I would like I say I was trying to shoot videos and I felt bad, like always trying to just take videos and photos of them and stuff. So that's gone. But if I shout or swear or if I slam a door, you know, then I feel terrible because I think I'm trying to be patient, but like you've pushed me too far and I've had a little moment. And I I always think, you know. Kids don't hold on to these things. I was shouted at all my life, and I still love my mum. Like she loved me, she shouted at me, but I still, I think it's it's that thing of you feel terrible, but it's okay as long as you acknowledge it and you apologise. I always say to my kids like, I'm really sorry I shouted at you, and I'm just trying to do this recipe and I'm trying to film it. I'm I'm so sorry I, I raised my voice. So they learn that you can make mistakes and you can apologise. But that's for me the biggest thing. Um, but I think a lot of people have guilt around you know exercising, going to the gym, taking time out and like being away from the wife and the kids or the partner. And you should never do that because I always say to Rosie, like, if you want to go and have an hour and go and sit um, in the park or you want to go up and have a workout or go for a walk, do it because you're going to be a healthier, happier mum when you come back. So I think it's having that balance of encouraging your partner to also take time out because, I mean, it's tough. Like, it's really tough raising kids and being with them all the time. 
And so I always say, like, no matter how hard I work in a day, Rosie being a parent to two kids all day on their own is harder. And so it's allowing your partner and yourself to have time out. You know what? I've just got to go and do a half an hour workout in the garden. I've got to smash myself, do a kettlebell workout. Or because you come back into that living room or that kitchen and you're calmer and you're a better person for it. And I always repeat that message because a lot of people just exercise for the weight loss and things. But actually, it helps your relationship so much. Yeah, definitely. We, we've got a question. We've been asking for questions and you've brought us to one of the questions that someone asked. Resolve to Play sent in a question and it was this. It was, you are incredibly, you're an incredibly busy person, uh, but you still find time for your hobbies, e.g. motorcycling. How important do you think it is for parents to have hobbies and create that time for yourself? And I just wanted to highlight that you've kind of answered that question right now by saying, yeah, parents, you need that time because... That's the self-care that means you can parent better, right? Some of the biggest mistakes, you know, friends and family and people with new kids can make is when you just isolate yourself in a world where it's just you and your kids and there's nothing else outside of it. Because before that child, you did things. You did things that made you feel good. You went to the pub, you went out for a curry, you went to cinema, like you went out for dinners, you travelled. So I, I think it's so important that if you can, from the start, that you still do the things you love, you know, and it is difficult with childcare. You know, I'm lucky I've got my mum nearby and Rosie's mum, so we can have a dinner and a night out and we go to the cinema and have a weekend away and she'll watch the kids and stuff. Like, it's so hard if you don't have that. And I understand that it's difficult. I, I really would find it hard to leave my kids with someone I didn't know and I never have, you know what I mean? Um, but having those nights out, those, those cinema dates, those weekends away, like just hobbies, like going to the gym or... Yeah, for me, my hobby is motorcycling. And I go on a... You know, I just went to Spain for four days with my mum, my dad and my brother... Um, and Rosie went to Greece with her mum and dad on the holiday. So we try and just make sure that if one's doing something, the other one also has an opportunity to do something. And yeah, I think it's uh, it's so important because otherwise your world's just your kids and there's more to it. Like you need to be happy and spiritually happy in other ways, not just like your kids. But they won't get the best side of you if you're not happy internally with other things. Yeah, no, of course they won't. The other thing that parents suffer from sometimes that I wanted to ask you about is worrying. Do you worry about the world your children are growing up in? You, you've spoken to so many different people online and through your socials about different problems that they go through. Do you worry about the things that your children may experience as they grow up? Uh, 100%. I mean, the things that get me most concerned and worried about is, is A, like the climate and the, the planet and the world. Like, what will it really be like in 50 years' time? Um, can we sustain it like the plastic pollution in the oceans what will oceans look like what with the animals and the agriculture and and just like the cost of living and you know how hard will it be for our kids in the future so that that really worries me and then the second thing is is social media and and how that affects our children's body image um physical you know physique and like body dysmorphia and anxiety eating disorders and things and and the pressure that young people experience because when i was growing up in 1985 i was born you just didn't have the pressure of like social media, you just had, you know, your friends and your local friends and that was all you could compare your life to. Whereas now there's this lens of like perfect lives, perfect bodies everywhere, every minute of the day. And I do really worry like how will my kids grow up in that? But I just hope that I can educate them and navigate them through that as best as I can. Um, Because the world's changing so fast, isn't it? Like, and that's the biggest concerns, I think. What will the world look like and how will our children's mental health be in years to come? Yeah, being a someone whose career is kind of based around social media and someone who's in the public eye as much as you are, 
it, it must be a huge worry with the social media side of things. Have you and Rosie talked or planned how you're going to broach the whole subject of social media when your kids are old enough? You have to worry a little bit less at the moment, but as they grow older, with you still working in that industry, you, you're going to have to plan for it, right? It's one of those topics that we really, we go back and forth with, you know, we go through phase of like, you know, we're in it. We've already drawn that line. Like our kids are on social media. We share photos. People know what they look like. They know who they are. And also the other side of just like, I just don't want people to recognise my kids when they're out and treat them differently. And yeah, it is tough, but I kind of, I crossed that line a while ago. And um, yeah, it's difficult because I think even if I wasn't on social media with an audience, I'd still, I just think we all want to share everything. We just want to show our kids looking cute and in little outfits and riding their bikes <laughs> things. So I think as a nation, we've all become much more, like we all love sharing stuff, don't we? So I think... I think at the moment I'm okay with them being on there, but there may be a point in time where I say, you know what, like I need you to have an, uh, you need to have a, a decision in this. And if you don't want to be on my social media, you don't want to be recognisable. Like that's that's cool, we can do that. And like, I would never pressure them into it. But yeah, I kind of, I made that decision obviously um, because I guess I'm so proud of. I love them. They're such a big part of my life. Like you know, I've done weaning books and I've done children's workouts and they come to events and do. All this. So it's like they're a part of my life and my story. And I've grown as I've grown from like a single guy to having a a wife and kids and it's like just part of my journey that I've always shared but maybe there will come a point where I say you know what like today is the last day that you're on my Instagram I don't know who knows but at the moment I still share them a little bit yeah no totally I'm down I'm the same with my kids I share my kids on online as well what do you think we need to do as parents and as people who are using social media and maybe have a little voice need to do or need to push for in social media so that our kids are in a safer place moving forward there are there changes you'd like to see implemented are there things you'd like to see the government doing to to make sure that it's a safer place for our kids moving forward i think there's so many layers to this conversation this this question really because it's something that has to start at the foundations of home right so home life you know we are role models aren't we so the food we eat the exercise we do or don't do your children are picking up on that all the time they're vibing off you they're learning from you so if my kids see me staring at my phone all day, every day, and that's all they know, like, how can I turn around to them and say, you're, you're, you're on your phone too much and you shouldn't be on your device? Like, so we have to really set an example from a young age, I think. And, you know, I really make an effort at dinner. Like, it's easier to give my kids Disney Plus or give them an iPad or an iPhone. But <laughs> I, I don't. I work at it. I sit there and I tolerate their annoying um, annoyingness. And, okay, let's read a book. Let's draw some pictures. Let's build some Lego. Like, I do these things at dinner tables so I can still enjoy a meal out and not give them a phone. So it's like, that's an important part. I think what I'm trying to say, delaying their use of screen time as, uh, like as long as possible is a really important thing, I think, because their brains are learning, they're, they're functioning, they're trying to learn about themselves. So to throw them on social media and give them an iPhone at sort of eight, nine, 10 years old, I think is too young. So I'm going to try my best to delay that. And I think with schools as well, you know, I know when I was at school, I had Snake, Nokia 3210, and I was on it, and I was <laughs> on classic, it, and I loved mate. it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I loved, yeah, I loved it. But that was it. I didn't have the internet to search. I wasn't on it in lessons and things. So schools have got to try and work at that. How do they police that? How do they enforce, you know, no phones in lessons, let kids actually learn. But oh, I don't know, that's a real challenge. But I think, yeah, from a government perspective, teach, you know, like we teach about sex education and mental health. I think we should talk about social media, about body dysmorphia, about eating disorders, about anxiety, about how spending all that time on your phone negatively impacts your health. And that should be something that's taught in school because... I mean, what are we we're, we're doing way more of that than we are doing math, English and science, aren't we? Like we are on our phones 24 seven. So I think yeah. it should be, I just really believe that exercise and mental health 
should be the like the most important part of any curriculum. Get your kids healthy and happy and active and moving and cooking and eating joy, enjoying good food and get them understanding about social media. And then they're going to go through life a lot happier, I think. Yeah. Tough question for you. Do you think that two sides of your of what you do are kind of a little bit opposed to each other? And I'm not trying to, but you've got the fitness and the nutrition and being healthy and staying out. But then you're also an advocate on social media, which is kind of in, in opposition to that. Do you find that a hard place to be? Yeah, there's definitely days where like, I mean, I'm a conflict and I'm a kind of a contradiction, but I, I still think I've used social media in such a powerful way, like such a positive way. And I think... I agree, totally. I think I, think I try and like, like I said, I do have an addiction to my phone. My screen time used to be eight, nine hours a day. It's now like three and a half, four. So like, that's, that's an amazing leap for me. Yeah. Um, sleep, I used to go to sleep five, six hours a night. It wasn't enough. I now talk about sleep and I'm getting eight hours sleep. So it's like, we're always learning. You're never stuck in that same mindset forever. And I think as long as I stay true to the mission, and for me, like, it is about helping people. So I have to share content. I have to do my videos for YouTube and social media, but I'm, I'm, I'm creating more content and I'm just not consuming as much. I think that was my issue. I was, I was creating, but consuming a lot. It's, it's the way the technology is designed. So, you know, like with reels and suggested posts and it's like you just scroll, don't you? You get drawn in. And I think I'm trying to like snap out of that. So that's where my screen time's come down. I'm still doing the impact work and, you know, contacting them and doing DMs, but I'm not scrolling aimlessly and pointlessly. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting out. So yeah, it's just trying to keep my own balance and also accept that some days I'm on it more than others and it's okay. But as long as I'm using it for the greater good, I think I can walk the back, you know, keep the balance in line, I think. There's something that I personally want to ask you about that you mentioned earlier on. You, you mentioned the word spiritual. Are you a spiritual person? Do you, do you believe in any uh, ethos or religious system? What, what's, your, what's, what's your view? I went to a Catholic school as a, as a young kid and I, you know, we did a lot of, you know, prayers. And I remember doing that like mass and I remember being kind of wasn't I was just not engaged and connected with it. But what I mm. realized as an adult that I am spiritual and that my spirituality comes through giving and through love and through kindness and stuff. So I think what I've realized is the greater, the more I put out into the world, the more goodness and kindness I give out, the more that comes back. And so I think I'm connected to that feeling of um, that we are all connected. And the only thing we're connected by is love and compassion. Like without that, there's nothing, is there? And so, yeah, I do, I do think I'm tapping into that. And I think through meditation and through doing um, mindfulness and kind of breathing and just reading a little bit and certain podcasts and things, I've, I've definitely enlightened myself a little bit. But yeah, that comes with age, I think. Sometimes you're sort of more open to that as you get a bit older, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think because there are, there's no proof for any of the things, it's, it's a situation where you have to find the things that you believe in, find the things that you resonate with, and that becomes your spirituality. So whether that be yoga and fitness, or whether that be... Buddhism and you know being open to people whether that be uh, being Christian and following the the teachings of the Bible or whether that be being Muslim and you know following the Quran as long as you believe it yourself and you feel like you're doing good things that's the main thing and then the second thing is as long as you're not hurting other people or trying to tear another system down I think you're in a good place. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think 
I think, yeah, spirituality and, 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 and kind of higher power can mean so much to different people. But I definitely believe there's a higher power. I'm not sure who or what it is, but I do believe that there's a reason that, you know, I'm there's a reason I'm driven and that I'm trying to do more and trying to help people. And it and, you know, it comes from somewhere. I don't know. But it's just it's like I, I feel like I'm just a vehicle for the energy like, and I just push it through and I just share it and stuff. And I I think when I realized that when I tapped into that and I realized that I could really create change and have an impact and help people like it's everything is linked to that. My whole, my self-confidence, my self-worth, like my, what I believe is success is how many people I can help in life. And, you know, where's that come from? I don't know, but it's, I believe it's some kind of higher power, I imagine. You know, you, you feel the need, not the need, you, you know, you enjoy helping people. You want to help people because you're empathetic to the way people are. Has that been since a very, very young age or did that come later on? I think as a kid in, a, in an environment of, of like addiction and, and destruction and just seeing like your mum and dad like just down and depressed and sad. I didn't know they were depressed and sad, but I could tell there was saying there wasn't there was something wrong. So I think I was naturally a carer. You know, you become you become a carer because you're protecting someone. I was protecting my dad and my mum and wanting them to be happy. And I thought it was me. Like, is it my fault they're broken up? Is it my fault my dad's taking drugs? Why doesn't why is my mum happy? Like, why is she not here? So, yeah, like there's something linked to that, I think, from a young age that made me made me really care about other people i think yeah awesome dude now like i said earlier on we get people to send in a couple of questions here and there and as we're coming to the end of this uh, record i want to get to these um first one i think you touched on it a little bit but we can delve into it a bit more uh danny reads books and stuff sent in this question uh, he's sure he's heard you talking about the um difficulties of maintaining calm in certain parenting situations he would like to know what tips you've picked up uh, or do you have any resources to help? Oh, great question, because I really love sharing this book. Um, her name's Kate Silverton. She used to be a TV presenter, ah, yeah, a news reporter. Yeah. She wrote a book, book called There's No Such Thing as Naughty. And I read it and I don't read books. I struggle to read, but I just, I just, it was really well written. It talks about, you know, there is no such thing as naughty because when a Todd, it's basically for the children between like naught and five years old, I think. So it's like the adolescent brain, the young child um, and what it taught me is that your child has, we have a wise owl, like a rational part of our brain, but a child doesn't have that. They have like the baboon, the kind of erratic, like impatient, just screaming tantrums. And so we have to be the wise owl and demonstrate that we can actually regulate our emotions. And that was just a really important thing. Like it really made me realize that I don't have to scream and shout at my kids. I can take a breath and have a moment to pause rather than the fight or flight. There's like actually there's fight, flight and there's breathe for a second and interact and like react differently so yeah that book's great uh, there's podcasts there's you know there's journals there's websites there's loads of great accounts oh there's an instagram called it's called big happy big small feelings it's called little big feelings i think and little it's like feelings. yeah little big feelings and it's just like how to kind of interpret situations and respond differently because kids i mean nothing stresses you out more than a kid a toddler pushing your buttons and trying to provoke you and like not not doing what you want is so difficult to comprehend. And that is the hardest part. Whereas um, there's ways of like interacting differently and overcoming it. So yeah, I'd say that was my, um, that's my top tip. Nice. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we've got another question here from uh, talking with a twin mum. She says, we know Joe is a very a hardworking person. Does he take time off slash paternity straight after birth? I think those early weeks are so important to be with the kids and be, be present. Obviously now I've got two kids and I've got one coming, it's going to be much harder to be, um, you know, with just one child, be focused. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to take time off. I'm probably going to block out a few weeks. And, you know, I still do the odd bit of Instagram and I'll do the odd filming. But 
I won't be away from the kids. I'll be present and be around and stuff. So, you know, I'm lucky in a sense that I can be at home. Like I work from home and I get to see the kids and stuff. But I just want to make sure that Rosie, I support her during this time because, you know, with one and two, you've got one each. It's easy, right? But with the third, it's going to be much more challenging. So, yeah, I think anyone and everyone should take time off and, you know, enjoy those early weeks. Those first couple of weeks are so special and the cuddles and, you know, the sli- they sleep on your chest all the time. You know, I love those moments. So, yeah, it's something that I'll be doing for sure. Awesome. Last question from the public comes from Ben Klopatanon and he says, Joe speaks openly with his brother about mental health. How did they first approach this with each other and do they regularly check in? Any tips are welcome. So my brother Nicky is the CEO of The Body Coach and he's also like my best friend and he's the person that has always looked out for me. You know, he was a couple of years older than me from obviously that that time during our childhood growing up. It was tough and he saw and observed a lot more and he all he wanted to do was protect me. So um, we've got a really close relationship. Yeah, like we check in, might not be a call, it might be a WhatsApp, we might go for a walk together, but I do, I value relationships so much. I need the closeness. I need to be close to my mum and dad and my brothers and stuff. So I've got a little brother as well who we've just been on a motorcycle trip together, my dad. So we have different things in common where we bond. Like I'm with Nikki, it's kind of with work and with um, going out for dinner and socialising with George and my dad, it's more motorcycles and things. And with my mum, you know, we go for walks with the kids and take them out. So I think having your relationships and keeping your families close is, is really important for overall happiness, I think. Yeah, definitely. Last question is something we ask all of our guests that come on the podcast, and it is this. Take a moment to think about it. If you could have a dad's superpower, what would it be and why? My superpower would be to be able to understand and communicate like with my kids so, you know when they're crying so for example if they're a toddler having a tantrum screaming just to be able to like read their mind and just quickly tell them everything's okay and just diffuse things is that is that okay to say dude, a superpower dude you picked the same one as me i want to give you a fist bump right there for that one that's the one can you imagine <laughs> if you could just like what what are you crying about oh you oh you want me to give you a cuddle oh okay here you go and they stop crying or oh you've got a poo in your nappy like if you could communicate with a baby on their level that would be, you'd be have a, you'd have a much easier ride. <laughs> Wouldn't it? It would be amazing. It would be so, so easy. Listen, Joe, I know you're a busy man. You've got to get back to it. Thank you so much for coming here and speaking to me so openly. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. We love it. And hopefully we'll see you along the ride soon. Thank you. Listen, mate, I've loved our conversation. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. And I appreciate you, um, yeah, wanting to share my story. And hopefully people that are listening have taken some value from it. And, um, just remember, like, being a dad can be tough, but it's also an amazing journey. And um, keep working on it. Keep um, doing all the things that can help you become a better parent and um, have a lovely, lovely day with the kids. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Thanks, mate. What a dad. What a guest. A whirlwind. We got through so much stuff. When you're busy, like Joe's busy, you learn how to get through stuff. You might have to listen to that one twice over, guys, to see <laughs> to catch all the bits in there. So there you go, another episode done. But what did you think of it? We would love to know. Leave us a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or on social media about this episode or the series as a whole. And don't forget, if you want to be first to hear brand new episodes, make sure you subscribe by your preferred podcast platform. To find out more about Dadvengers, make sure you head to our website, dadvengers.com, where there is information about our live chats, our dad walks, our blog posts, and more. We'll see you soon.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.